Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash skills. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. In 2002, I was dead broke. I was losing my house. I was losing everything and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't get a job. I had been an entrepreneur in an area that was now dead. I was trying to be an investor without real professional or educational experience. So no one would hire me for that. So I really had no opportunities. Failure is really painful and I don't recommend it for anyone. The problem is most things that are worth it are so difficult to learn that you're inevitably going to fail at some point as you're building up a career. Every failure at every level is a learning experience. So what I try to do is say it wasn't a failure, it was an experiment. And from an experiment, it's a little bit easier to rationalize, okay, now I can learn from this. It failed, what did I learn from it? Hi, everybody. It's Carolina Millan here, and I am in New York City with Mr. James Altucher. I am so honored to be here. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Carolina, thank you for asking me to go on the show and for coming up to where I do my podcast. We just finished the podcast, and I'm so glad that you were able to it wasn't an inconvenience for you to come up to here. Not at all, and I want to appreciate your team as well for taking the time to coordinate with me. I know it's been... Uh, it, it, I know it's uh, you have a busy schedule, so I feel very grateful to be here. Not Thank that you. busy. No? Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about that then, because uh, I've been following you for a couple of years. Um, I read your book, The Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. It really changed a lot of things for me in my life. I want to thank you for that book. You're welcome. What did it change? Um, one one of the main, the main things that I was always beating myself up for was uh, not making enough progress every day. And, and when I read your book and you talked about this concept of the 1% progress, like just even if it's just 1% progress that you make financially, spiritually, mentally, physically, uh, then you're in a good place. And that made me feel great. It's so important because it compounds. Yes. And so people think like, oh no, I've got to get the big deal every single day. But if you just like, oh, I'll just send an email thanking somebody or I, I'll study a little bit more about, you know, interviewing, like I'll watch some good interviewers and you just improve a little bit each day in some area of your life. I'll, I'll spend more time with my family because that'll make me happier. Uh, I'll, I'll go to the gym for a half hour. Okay. If you do these things every day, 1% a day compounded, it doesn't equal 360% a year. It equals 3,800% a year. So you improve your skills 38 times, mm. whatever that means. It's hard to quantify some of these things, yes. but just in general, the sense of it is, is that compounding works even for skill development and for your career and for your success. And we're all in this for the marathon and not the sprint. Like, it's not like next year, you've got to be a gazillionaire with the biggest video show in the world. It's you're trying these things, you're experimenting with these things. And then over the course of 20 years, you build a network, you build amazing skills. And by the way, it doesn't. it's not like 20 years you wake up and say, oh my God, now I'm finally a success. You're, all along the way, if you're, if you're improving 1% a day and it's compounding, you're going to find incredible successes all along the way. Exactly. And, and that's the way I've been looking at it now instead of being, you know, comparing myself to other people. And I think a lot of people suffer from that comparisonitis 
Yeah, compare when you compare, you despair. <laughs> but I suffer from that too. It's hard not to because yeah. we're, we're tribal animals, so we're always you know for for millions of years. So our brains are set up to say, okay, this person's here and this person's here and I'm here and I want to be here. Like it's very hard. That's why. That's why all social media is addictive. Like how many followers does he have? How many followers do I have? And then you measure your life worth by your follower worth. And um, it's very hard to get off of the, the the treadmill with all these addictions. Exactly, I agree. The The other concept that I really loved about the book was the idea muscle. And uh, since I read it, I've been carrying a little book where maybe not every single day, but when I think of it, I go and write 10 ideas, even if they're crap, uh, at least one or two of them will be great. So uh, I, I do it every day. <laughs> How did I you would, come up with that idea? Um, well, in, in 2002, I was, so this is 16 years ago, but I still do this every day. I write down 10 ideas every day, in two th and often much more than 10 ideas. But in 2002, I was dead broke. I was losing my house. I lived right next to, you know, what's called Ground Zero, where the World Trade Center was. So it was just a horrible, depressing area. Mm. Not, you know, it was horrible for many people, not me least of all. And um, and I was I I was losing everything and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't get a job. I had been an entrepreneur in an area that was now dead. I was trying to be an investor without real professional or educational experience investing. So no one would hire me for that. So I really had no opportunities. So I had to just sit there every morning. I'd wake up because I couldn't sleep. I was so anxious. I'd wake up. I would take three or four books, go to a cafe. I'd read from a nonfiction book. I'd read from a fiction book. I'd read from a book about games because I love games. And uh, and then I would take a waiter's pad just like this, and I would write down ten ideas for how I could do something. Ten things for me to do or. Uh, 10 people for me to reach out to and try to learn from. Or when I reached out to all those people and none of them responded, I figured, oh, I did this the wrong way. Why should anyone respond? I was offering nothing for them. They're not like Warren Buffett's not, you know, going to drop everything to have a cup of coffee with me just because I write to him. So I had to write to all of these heroes of mine and I had to come up with 10 ideas for each of them. Here's 10 ideas for how you can improve your business, your life, your writing, whatever. If this is yours for free, no expectations. I wouldn't ask to meet them anymore. And out of those 20, three responded. And I really developed relationships with those three, but I just kept on doing this. 10 books I could write. Oh, here's an. Most of the ideas are bad. You, the, the idea is not to write 10 good ideas because you're not going to come up with 3,650 good ideas a year. <laughs> but. The idea is to, you know, ideas are a muscle. Creativity is a muscle. And if it's not exercised like any other muscle, it atrophies. It'll stop working. And after I noticed, after like three months, six months, a year of writing down 10 ideas a day, it was like, oh my gosh. Um, it, it literally felt like, like I had tapped into something. Like I could come up with ideas all the time. And, and again, most of them are bad, but give me a situation, I could start coming up with ideas and maybe one or two might be interesting to explore further. And then I, and people say ideas are a dime a dozen, executions, everything. That's not true. Ideas aren't, a, a good idea is not a dime a dozen. And, and it's true, execution is everything, but execution is really ideas. So if I come up with an idea for a business that I want to try, I have to come up with 10 execution ideas. What are easy ways to test that I can execute on very easily to see if this idea is good. Can I give you an example from today? Yeah, please. So one of my ideas on one of my lists was different business ideas I was thinking of. And I was thinking like, you have Instagram, right? Yes. And you have texts on your phone? Yes. And you have Twitter and you have Snap, maybe you have Snapchat, maybe Everything. you have LinkedIn, Quora, uh, Facebook, email. So there's all these platforms where we get messages and sometimes I miss messages because I didn't look at a platform long enough. Now, Gmail will take in you know some of your messages, but not all. They won't take in your Instagram direct. They won't take in your texts. And so I was trying to think: Is there a way to a bit? One business idea was to create an app that consolidates all your messages. Maybe even your dating app messages consolidates all your messages into one mega messaging app. And 
Uh, so that's an idea. I move on to the next idea. But then the next day I think to myself, you know what? I'm still thinking about that idea. And I have a rule. If you think about something two or three times in a week, there might be something to explore. And so I did a little bit of research. Well, is it possible? First off, is anybody doing this? That's an easy thing to execute on is to just research. Is anyone doing this? And that's where I think to myself, well, Gmail does like half of this, um, but they don't consolidate Instagram or text or some other things. And then I think to myself, well, can one app grab messages from every other app? And that's something to research. And then can I spec this out enough that I could post it on Freelancer and find a programmer who will answer some of these more difficult questions for me? And by the way, I'm sharing this idea with you, even though it might be a great idea, because in general, most people don't execute on any ideas. Absolutely not. So certainly no one's going to waste their valuable time executing on my maybe bad or mediocre idea. I need to take the first step. So even that's why people are always scared. Like, don't tell anybody this I idea. Uh, they might steal it. No one ever really, very rare that people steal ideas. I mean, it's so rare they make a movie about it the one time it happens. <laughs> so uh, I, I never, I'm always, you always want to be abundant and share ideas and, and, and good things come back to you. And if you're good at coming up with ideas, you'll come up with the next good idea. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sorry to keep, I'm talking too much, but I no, have a, another, friend, another friend of mine, um, I, this was just a fun exercise. Another friend of mine said, uh, texted me and said, I'm working out in my gym. This is this morning. I'm working out in my gym and Daniel Craig, who used to play James Bond, is working out right next to me. And so I came out and he was like, he asked me, should I talk to him? And I, I so just on the fly, I wrote 10 things he can do with <laughs> Daniel Craig. So, I, and then he said, okay, I'm going to do one of these. He picked one of the ideas. One of the ideas was... Um, invite Daniel Craig to play in your weekly poker game. Now, my friend doesn't have a weekly poker game, but if Daniel Craig were to say yes, get all your Let's friends start. over and have a <laughs> weekly poker game and Daniel Craig will show up and videotape the whole thing secretly. So that'll be fun. But anyway, it's just fun too, coming up with ideas. And it's practice. Everything is practice. It's practice, exactly. And I love the fact that you don't only come up with ideas for yourself, but for other people. Because see, I've never done that. That's very critical is to come up with ideas for other people because yeah. there's only so much you can do. Mm. You can't come up with 10 new business ideas for yourself every day because how many businesses are you going to start? So, but, but also, there's another important thing that helps you. So I've come up with, at different times, 10 ideas for Amazon, 10 ideas for LinkedIn, 10 ideas for XYZ company. And that's gotten me. I mean, I've flown to Amazon. I've given talks at Google. I've been a consultant to LinkedIn. I've gotten so many opportunities just writing 10 ideas for other companies. Mm. And again, none of these were huge opportunities for me, but hey, it was a bucket list moment to give a talk at, on the Google campus and get the tour. And then that's on my resume forever. And uh, who knows the connections that that comes from that, you know, down the road. And so, so coming up with 10 ideas for other companies, particularly where you have experience and you have good ideas, like you have to work hard on those ones, mm. um, is, is very important. Yeah, that's yeah. I love that. I love that concept. Like I said, that that really motivated me to to write more of my ideas because I was I was not really doing it. I was not coming up with anything new. That's how I came up with you know. Oh, maybe I should do a podcast. And who who should I interview? Ten people. Like uh, try making lists of people and and how can I approach them so that they don't think I'm just you know trying to get their attention when I really just want to add value. So. That's critical. And that's where you start coming up with 10 ideas to help people too. It's exactly. like, obviously, it, you came up with ways to ask me and others to be on this podcast that were smart and intelligent and added value to me. Yeah. So, and you learned how to signal who you were in a way that makes you stand out. Mm-hmm. So, because a lot of people get pitched to be here and there and everywhere, and you can't say yes to everything. Exactly. Of course. So. Now, um, I know that you've you come up with a lot of ideas. I I also know that you've started lots of businesses. How many how many in total now? Twenty? More uh, than twenty? Yeah, maybe like nineteen or twenty. Nineteen or twenty. Yeah. And you also mentioned that most of them fail at some point. Horribly. What 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 would be like um maybe not necessarily your biggest failure, but the biggest lessons you learned from those? The biggest the biggest I mean, this is always a hard question because I feel like there's a lot of um what I call failure porn that happens. Mm-hmm. Like people feel they're, oh, now I failed at a business. So now I'm really 
an entrepreneur or a superhero or an athlete or whatever. I failed. And so I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to come back and be a superhero right. or a super entrepreneur. Failure is really painful. Yes. And I don't recommend it for anyone. Like avoid failure. If you never fail in your life, that's great. The problem is most things that are, that are worth it are so difficult to learn that you're inevitably going to fail at some point as you're building up a career. And so, for instance, if you wanted to be an actor and you go to auditions, 99 out of 100 auditions, they'll say no. And you have to be able to, you know, maybe on the first 10, you'll sit in the car outside the audition and you'll cry. And I've heard from many actors who, that if I say, did you cry after your first 10 auditions? That they said no to, and all of them said yes. And, um, but then you start to get used to the fact that things that are worth it are complicated. You want people to reject you because that means you know this is something that is important enough that if I actually do get good at this, mm. I will separate myself out from two classes of people. So I'm going to separate myself out or three classes of people. I'm going to set, once I get yeses from something where I got 99 out of 100 no's at first, first off, I'm going to separate myself out from the people who give up. So the people who give up, they're like, oh, I got two no's. I must not be good at this, yeah. which is a ridiculous statement because you don't even know yet. Um, and you know, this happens with young people. Like I have two children. If, if they, the first time they play tennis, if they can't serve the ball, they're like, they throw the racket. Oh, I'm no good at this. And it's just not true. You just have to practice and then you'll get good. Yeah. Um, um, so if that's the first group of people you set out, the people who who drop, um, let's compare it to acting again. Um, a lot of people will just drop out after the first couple of rejections, like, oh, not for me. That's fine. Um, then you separate yourself out from the people who don't learn from their nose. So from every audition, it's you always have to take responsibility for your action. You could say, oh, they wanted a blonde person and I have black hair, so it's their fault. But that's not really true. You can... And in every single scenario, you could figure out what you could have done better, even if they said at the outset they don't want you. There's always ways to stand out. And you can learn from that. It doesn't necessarily get you the job still, but you still learn how to get better to, to the point where you're starting to get yeses. So you set, so that's the second group. You separate out from the people who just keep getting no's and don't really understand how to use that no, that failure as a learning experience. Um, I had a third group of people, but I forget what it was. <laughs> so I just okay. failed at that. <laughs> That's um, okay. But failing as a, 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 in a business, I don't know, you, you learn, you know, business is really, really difficult. Starting a business, uh, just think of it from a communication point of view. When you have a business, there are several different groups of people you have to interact with. There's investors, there's competition, there's customers, there's employees, there's vendors. Um, there's, prob there's probably other groups I'm, I'm forgetting, but that's five haters right there. sometimes. Hmm? <laughs> the haters sometimes. Yeah, the haters. <laughs> uh, right, like so haters or anonymous people who either love you or hate you. Mm. Um, but that's part of the customers. Uh, but so there's, there's five groups of people who have to be motivated by a vision that appeared in your head out of nowhere, and, and you have to somehow telepathically give them all that vision. Like my vision has to appear in your head somehow. And if, if you're a customer, my vision is gonna look different than if you're an investor. So you have to figure out what everyone's agenda is and how to give your vision to that person. And that's step number one, maybe not step number one, maybe step number five in having a good business. But there are so many skills in having a good business, it's very difficult. You have to learn how to negotiate. You have to learn how to sell. You have to learn how to motivate people. You have to learn how to execute on product development. You have, uh, you know, on and on. You have to learn how to get publicity for yourself. You have to learn how to do marketing. So, so on and on and on. And when you fail at a business or at an aspect of a business or at an aspect of an aspect of a business, because it's it's almost like a fractal. Like no matter how much you look closer at it, it's just as difficult. So negotiating is not one big skill to learn. There's negotiating with different types of people. You have to learn each type of person. There's negotiating 
for salary. There's negotiating on the price of a product. There's negotiating when you sell a company. There's negotiating when you take an investment. Um, there's negotiating when you do some kind of affiliate deal. So there's micro skills. There's negotiating after you negotiated. So once you finish a negotiation and lawyers are involved, the negotiation is not over yet. People think the negotiation is over. Negotiation is just beginning at that point because then the lawyers want to get their fees. So they start negotiating. You have to learn how to manage them. So every skill has micro skills that have micro skills. So what that means, what I'm really saying is every failure at every level is a learning experiment, a learning experience. So what I try to do is say it wasn't a failure, it was an experiment. And <laughs> from an experiment, it's a little bit easier to rationalize, okay, now I can learn from this experiment. It failed, what did I learn from it? Thomas, people say, there's a cliche, people say Thomas Edison failed at making the light bulb yeah. a thousand times in a row. He didn't fail, he just was experimenting with different filaments of wire. From each each time he learned, well, I'm gonna twist it a little bit this way, I'm gonna twist it a little bit that way. And he learned and he then made the light bulb. So again, nothing is really failure unless you label it that way and then give up. View everything as an experiment and a learning experience. Um, I know that's almost a cliche to learn, to, you know. But I give, I hopefully give a, a new way yes. to think about it, which is that failure equals experimentation instead. But and also the idea that um, anything worth doing, is, you're certainly going to fail at along the way. But um, you know, another thing is that I learned specifically from failure is you learn how to manage. You learn how to invest in yourself. So. People say, again, it's a cliche, invest in yourself. But what does that really mean? Maybe it means um, take a photography class, learn how to um, take great photographs. And now for a small, like let's say it costs you $1,000 to take a photography class and then another $1,000 for a great camera. For a $2,000 investment, maybe you can book in within the next year a $10,000 wedding photography gig. So where else, what other investment can you put in $2,000 and make 500% or 400% returns? So it's very, no other investment. You can't invest in the stock market and, and do that, very rare. No. But, uh, but that's not quite what investing in yourself really means. So what I mean by it is, what, what's the characteristics of a good investor? One thing every good investor does is they diversify. So when I invest in myself, I diversify. I don't just start one business or have one job. You know, people quit a job to start a business because they want freedom. But being an entrepreneur mm. is still just one job. Yeah. And it has the same stresses, many of the same stresses and pressures as when you just have one job. So I try to diversify across many, many ways of investing in myself, many completely uncorrelated streams of income, mm -hmm. for instance, or, or not just streams of income, because that sounds callous, but <laughs> streams of things I'm passionate about that give me pleasure, mm -hmm. which some of them might include making money as a byproduct. So, so when you diversify, uh, if one business fails, I have other mm -hmm. businesses or ideas that I'm working on. But then you could say, well, shouldn't you focus on your business? No, not really. If you do this idea of, 10 execution ideas and really make them as small and easy as possible, you could be testing out or experimenting with many different businesses at the same time uh, and, and you see which ones are exactly. the best. What's one investment you've made in yourself recently that gave you a big return? Um, it depends what you mean. What do you mean by a big return? Um, it could be monetary or it could be because you really enjoy it, like the examples you were giving just now. or. Uh, okay, um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give an example that's long. Okay. So uh, <laughs> uh, I got I, I, I'm, all my answers are long. Maybe I I may try to make a fast <laughs> uh, uh, answer. I like long answers because you know when I interview people and they give me like two sentences, I get nervous. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so I you, love uh, long answers. I'll give you I'll give you a short answer and a long answer. Okay. So I'll start with the short one. So a couple of years ago. I started um, experimenting with stand-up comedy, going on stage and in front of a room of strangers, nobody knew who I was, and doing stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be one of the most difficult skills I've ever had to learn. And again, with any skill that's worth learning, there are micro skills 
And then there are micro skills to the micro skills, like I discussed with yes. business. Um, but every hard skill that I've learned, like I'm, I've I've learned, I've spent, I love learning, I love meta learning. So I love taking what I know about about the art of learning and applying it to many fields. So I said, okay, I've learned how to do lots of things that were very difficult. I'm going to apply this meta learning to learning how to do stand-up comedy. And so I go up on stage and everyone else has been doing it for 20 years. I've been doing it for two or three years and about two and a half. And uh, uh, it's very difficult, but the skill, but then what I do is I take the skills I learn from getting better at stand-up comedy, getting 1% better every day at stand-up comedy. And I'm able to apply it to other businesses and ventures I'm in that have nothing to do with stand-up comedy. So for instance, I help run a business that has about a hundred employees. So when I'm speaking to those employees and trying to impart a vision I have for success and, and, and motivation and so on, and why this could be great for everyone, it's very helpful to take things I've learned from stand-up comedy and use those things when speaking to other in other such completely different situations. And I don't mean just humor, although I use that, but just how do you uh, understand who's in the crowd and who needs a little bit more of a boost and where in the crowd to focus and how do you talk to the crowd and interact and how do you come up with ideas on the fly and how do you get a sense of, you know, where to stand on the stage and how to pause and how to inflect your voice and when to do impressions, you know, which are useful in public speaking yeah. as well as stand-up comedy. And I've used that same, those same ideas when I'm on television. So if I do a television appearance, it's often with, let's say it's a news show. It'll have two anchors and then maybe three panel members. I might be a panel member. Well, suddenly that's my audience, the anchors and the panel members and learning how to kind of, kind of not quite take control of the situation because that sounds Machiavellian, but learning how to sort of influence the direction of where this discussion is going. That's what happens in stand-up comedy too. Might not use any humor at all, but there's other skills in stand-up comedy other than just humor. It's just one skill among 20 in stand-up comedy. So that was my short answer, unfortunately. My, my, my long answer <laughs> um, is in writing. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day. That initial 
when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So I've been writing for 26 years. Yes. The first five years of that, I was horrible. I wrote a lot of fiction, nothing got published. Then I took a little break, then I started writing again. And I started writing for newspapers, magazines, then I wrote some books about finance. And then and then I was writing for the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, Forbes, other magazines. Um, then I decided, you know what? I'm tired of writing for all these other brands. I'm just gonna write on my own blog and build my own email list of people who like the email list is of people who like my writing. And I wrote about my experiences of going broke and bouncing back and how I bounced back. And I would always say, this is not self self help. It's just, this is how I did it. You could try it too, may or may not work, but this is what I did to bounce back from being depressed and broke and failing and mm. so on. And I wrote those stories and they were popular and it built up an audience and a, and a much bigger audience than than anything I was writing for when I was writing for the Wall Street Journal and so on. People often think they need b- big brands yeah. to bless them, but I was just writing for my own website, my own blog, and I built up a, mu- a 20 times bigger audience than when I was writing for the big brands. And by building up that email list and by building up that audience, I was able to create a business where I was able to then hire people to build products of maybe greater value to my readers 
and then sell those products to provide even better value to the readers. And that became a substantial business. Mm -hmm. So so writing for free for years and building up and investing in myself by building up the skill of writing, which of course has 20 micro skills as well, that helped me build a very nuts and bolts, profit-oriented business, which is very successful. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've been growing you know, 100 to 200% a year since we started. Amazing. Wow. I mean, maybe this year will be over 100 million in revenues. Wow. And that came all from that little blog that you started on your own? And Yeah. yeah. And, and I had already been writing for many years before then to learn the skill. Of and course. I was already, I had already published many books before then. Um, so that's why I say, you'll have, if you're improving 1% a day, there's many, many successes mm-hmm. along the way. And you might think, oh, that's all I need in success. But if you keep pushing it, it starts compounding even greater yes. and in all sorts of different directions. Like, you know, writing can, you know, move into stand-up comedy. Writing can move into business. Writing can move into product development. Writing can move into television. Yeah. Um, writing can move into speech making. Yes. Um, doing a podcast. So, because a lot of people come on my podcast because they read one of my books. So, uh, or an article or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. I am on your email list, by the way, and I, I love your your emails. And I don't really open a whole lot of emails because I get like a hundred and fifty per day from all the email lists I'm on. So you do a great job at really, you know, uh, getting people's attention in a good way where it's interesting, it's fun to read your emails. Like it, you tell a story every time. I love it and very educational at the same time. You know, thank you so much because you know, one, I think, you know, writing has become much more democratic lately, which is a good thing. It's not, you know, there's just a few big publishers and there's like only one major bookstore now. But uh, writing has become much more democratic because Amazon has this great platform for self-publishing. And look at maybe the best-selling book of all time, Fifty Shades of Grey. Originally, that was self-published because no publisher would touch it. Then Mm -hmm. I think Simon & Schuster said, hey, We'll republish it for you, and then it became the best-selling book of all time. But other books like The Martian and Wolf, it really is the best-selling book of all time. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I think there was one. <laughs> there was one month when it was really popular, where one out of three books sold around the world was Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, but uh, uh, but the problem with it becoming writing, you know, publishing becoming so democratic, it, it's ultimately it's a very good thing. It's equivalent mm-hmm. to the Gutenberg Press five hundred years ago, and now there's Amazon and self-publishing. Mm-hmm. So I view them as almost equivalent, you know, reinventions of of writing. But there's a lot of bad writers out there now, like horrible, horrible (laughs) writers. And people forget the art of storytelling is how humans communicated ideas for thousands, maybe even millions of years. And I think you always have to get back to what makes a good story and how to tell that story or write that story. And that's how you really communicate. Mm-hmm. I've I've been struggling myself to write a book um, for a couple of years. I I just it, it's a uh, and at the same time I see so many people writing books today because as you said it's become so democratic and there are so many platforms where you can publish. Where I wonder today with so so many people writing and publishing, you know, how do you stand out? You know. Well, I think the way you stand out is is storytelling and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Now. You can also stand out with quantity and you can stand out with writing thrillers and page turners. But for, for my style, let's say, you know, I sort of view it as more literary, but it tends to be categorized in self-help. Telling a story of, you know, when things were bad mm. and how I bit by bit overcame XYZ problems and the friends I met along the way who helped me and how I met them. And then, you know, all the way to the end, like how I come back, you know, with this new knowledge and having solved all these problems and how I'm a better person for it. Like, I think that's a very classic model for yeah. a story. And and then on more, and then again, there's many micro skills. I try to look at every paragraph and ask myself, um, what's the cliffhanger? for this paragraph. Sometimes people think, what's the cliffhanger for a chapter or what's the cliffhanger for a book? Um, but, and then if I don't have a quite a cliffhanger for the paragraph, I'll end the chapter, at, like I'll specifically put chapter end and then I'll, it's easier to come up with a cliffhanger. So I'm always thinking of 
how do I get someone to read the next line? Because otherwise, why mm. should anyone read the next line? I don't read the next line if they don't give me a reason to. That, that's a brilliant way to put it. A cliffhanger in each paragraph. I will implement that. <laughs> my, my, my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter is in a writing class right now at, over at Columbia. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking at one of her stories and we went over it line by line. And, and it was great because her idea was good, what she was writing about, my divorce. And... <laughs> um, and, but I really enforce, like, make everything, you know, start with drama, end with cliffhanger, and and then end the chapter. Once you have that cliffhanger, end the chapter. Even if that means, you don't call it chapter one, chapter two, just put three dots so they pause when they're reading and they think about the cliffhanger and then they want to read on because you had that cliffhanger. So, and I, I said, make me worse. It doesn't matter that I'm your father. <laughs> make me really make me a bad guy with some vulnerability in there. Mm -hmm. You have to make the bad guys a little, have an ounce of good. But with fictional names or with the real names? Real names. Oh, okay. But I don't care. <laughs> that's... I want her to be a good writer. No, that's awesome. So. That's great. Um, I, I wanted to, um, we, I, I know we're probably running out of time, but I have still have a couple of questions, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I've, I don't know if you know, do, do you follow or do you know Simon Black? At all? Mm, no? no, I mean, he sounds familiar. From uh, sovereignman.com, he has oh. like an investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I thought it sounded familiar. I, oh, okay. I, I've, I've seen his stuff. Oh, okay, well, he lives in Chile. Um, mm. He bought a bunch of land over there, had, uh, has a lot of investments. And I keep seeing this Facebook ad from him saying that the next crisis is coming in October or something, or, or, or the next financial crisis could come as soon as October. I haven't really dived into it yet. But um, I'm curious to know from your perspective, you being a, a former, or, or I don't know if you still do it, hedge fund manager and all of that. I know you have a lot of experience in investment and I follow you uh, for that reason as well. Um, in fact, that video where you do magic with people, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I yeah. love that, the pledge. Uh, I haven't been able to take it yet because every time I watch the video, the button never shows up for me to take any action. But anyway. Um, That's my fault probably. <laughs> I'll take full responsibility. Something's up with the funnel, but anyway. Um, what do you think about the, the, I mean, what are your maybe predictions, ideas, anything you could share about where the markets are, are heading at this point? Sure. Uh, I have a short answer and a long answer. Oh, go for it. <laughs> but I just want to comment on the ad. His, his ad, which I appreciate, uh, is an ad. It's not it is a, an ad. It's I not know. a market prediction. That's why I said it's a Facebook ad. Because right. <laughs> now, of course, at any given point, anything can happen. The market mm. could collapse, the market could go up. But... Just in terms of getting people's attention, we live in, and and all respect to his ad, we live in a, in a in an attention glutted world. We we see ads everywhere. So if you have a product you think will help people, and I don't know him, but I know a little bit about what he does, and I think he has good a good product that helps people. Yeah. If you have the intention to help people, you still have to get people's attention. Correct. And uh, to to give people's attention, you're up against all the scammers who might not have good products and they have also not so good ads, but you kind of have to have ads that beat their ads. Yeah. So uh, you can't just say, hey, I'm a nice guy. All those p other people are bad guys because then nobody will click on your ad. <laughs> exactly. They're only going to click on crisis in America. So, um, and you know, fear uh, this this has been safe. Fear outweighs greed twenty to one. So it's mm. much easier to do a fear um, ad than a greed ad. Although both tend to work. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the markets itself, uh, the short answer, and I'll I'll speak from a U.S. perspective. the The short answer is, uh, it doesn't matter how you stand politically. I have I have uh, I tend to be as apolitical as possible. But I just look at what's going on economically because. I'm concerned about my own money and investments and so on, and I act accordingly. Um, Trump or the government uh, or Congress have, have done two things recently that's going to create an enormous, enormous, enormous surge over the next two years. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before, and we're already starting to see the results of it. We had the highest growth numbers in a long time just recently. A, he... Um, offered a tax holiday for companies to take their money, that's their cash that's just sitting in bank accounts overseas, bring it over here back to the U.S. 
and hey, we'll turn away, you will tax it much less than we normally would have. So it gives an incentive, you have to do it by a certain point, right. gives incentive for hundreds of companies to bring back a trillion dollars to the US. And then they have to spend it. So they can't just put it in the bank account because then their growth won't be high and their stocks won't go up. Mm -hmm. So as, if you bring in billions of dollars, you've got to spend billions of dollars. And that create and that goes through the economy in various ways. I won't get into the all the whole yeah. aspects of economics, but ten uh, a ten billion dollar infusion of new money in the economy might create a hundred billion dollar boost to, to growth. But but a trillion dollar infusion is trillions of dollars. That's enormous and growth like we've never seen before. Now it might create problems three, four, five years from now, but for the next two years, we're going to see growth like we've never, it's it's ridiculous. It's wow. almost irresponsible. We're still going to see growth like we've never seen before. Second, and again, this has its good sides and its bad sides. Um, the US government just deregulated for the first time since the financial crisis, all local and community banks. Now, remember those banks used to lend out too much money and then they had the, we had the financial crisis. Well, now they're deregulated again. So they're going to start lending out money. What happened the last time before the financial crisis? Well, a lot of money hit the economy. People bought houses, they hired furniture companies, they hired architects, and the markets soared to all-time highs in 2007. The exact same thing is going to happen again. So I think Trump's obviously laying the groundwork for a re-election campaign in 2020. I think probably by sometime next year, the Dow will hit double where it is now. And uh, I think we have a huge surge coming. Now, in the long run, I'm not as optimistic. I think income inequality in the US is is going to have a bad ending. but And we already see the beginnings of that bad ending too, but that's a much slower story to play out. Whereas these other two things I mentioned are fast stories. The long story is depressing, but the fast stories, which is what I care about for my money right now, is very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Anything that everyday people can do to take advantage of something like that? Yeah, again, diversify, diversify. investing in yourself. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, build your skills, invest in ways to, to build your skills uh, because your skills will be become more valuable if you're more skilled than, than other people. Um, then be in the stock market because the stock market is going to go straight up and just, you don't have to, you don't have to pick the next great, big stock, you know, just mm -hmm. diversify in the stock market. Yeah. I'm just giving a simple way. Yeah. And um, put a little bit in cryptocurrencies because there's an enormous story there that that's playing out. You don't mm -hmm. have to put 100% of your money, put 1% of your mm -hmm. money. If the story p plays out, you might make millions on just that. So mm -hmm. again, diversify across many things that aren't correlated to each other, but booms will happen in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, and to wrap it up, uh, I was reading your your blog earlier today or yesterday. Oh, it was yesterday. You published uh, an article that Seth Godin came again for an interview and um, that you invited him to pick his brain to get some consulting from him. And I thought that was brilliant. Um, and I, I didn't get to watch the video yet, but I did read what you wrote under it. And you said that one idea he gave you was to do uh, your own show. So... Um, when, uh, what can we expect from your show? What's it going to be about? <laughs> yeah, so he was like, first off, I love Seth Godin. Me too. I highly encourage people to read his blog, his yes. books, listen to his podcast. Great human being and very generous and giving person. Like we should aspire to be I like love him. Seth yes. Godin. Um, but he, he said to me, you should do a one-man show on Broadway. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Like how? Who? Like I had never even thought of that. And... And when Seth Godin gives direct advice, you have to listen. So that's that's on my list. So I started thinking about it. I don't want to just stand up on stage and talk. I always want to press myself to do something a little bit different. And so I was thinking I can have a mul multiple formats in a one-man show. So meaning um, maybe a little bit is stand-up. Maybe a little bit is I tell a story of failure and, and bouncing back. Maybe a little bit is... You know the lights go out and then they come on, and I'm doing a one man. I'm do, I'm doing a, a a one minute podcast with an extraordinarily famous person you wouldn't expect to see on stage, and then I go back to the, you know, telling a story. I go back to the stand up and I sw keep switching through formats. 
And I think that would be kind of kind of fun. Yes, I I also agree with him that you should do some solo podcast episodes. Yeah, we we were yes. just talking about that because I really yeah. want to switch up the format of the podcast too, and 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 press on how I can improve mm. on that. Again, it's about getting better one percent a day. Yes, so I can get better as an interviewer. We can get better in terms of guest selection. We can get better in terms of how we distribute the podcast. We can get better in terms of. Uh, the format, so I can have panels, I can do one-person shows, I can have people interviewing me. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, you know, you have to stretch your brain to 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 make yourself distinguish, distinguished out of the two hundred thousand other podcasts that are out there. That's right. I think you're you're doing a good job. Thank you, that. absolutely. And thank you again for having me on your show. Thank you, and thank you for lending me the space and and your time. Any no any projects coming up? Anything you'd like to share? Anything you're working on? Always. Always. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a one-man show. One-man uh, show. Uh, I have a book. Any other books? And, and I have a book coming out that I'm finishing soon. It has I, the title's okay, but <laughs> it's it's not as finance as it seems. But it's called Think Like a Billionaire. Okay. So I've interviewed so many billionaires on my podcast that I and people are always curious what makes a billionaire. Are they different? Um, that I figured, okay, no one's written a book about this. I'll write a book about this. What makes these people different? And the book's gonna come out within hopefully a week. Although I'm, I'm again, I'm trying to figure out the right format to put it out in. A week from now? Well, hopefully, probably not. Oh. I gotta design the cover. <laughs> I gotta. We have a we have a contest on Ninety Nine okay. Designs to mm -hmm. pick the cover, mm -hmm. um, and I'll certainly self-publish it. But I might publish it first on my email list. So we're we're, we're figuring that out. I'll be looking out for it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. Uh, Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Carolina. Thank you. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 